You're listening to Leadership Game Changers, conversations with heart and humor. My guest today is Jason Vale, the amazing Jason Vale. The title of this podcast is From Poverty and Addiction to Leadership and Legacy. He makes me go from laughter to tears several times during this conversation. It's longer than my normal episodes, but absolutely worth it. This is the uncensored story of a man who went from living in a squat on a Peckham estate in London to becoming the world's number one name in juicing. He draws celebrities and politicians from all over the world to his stunning retreat sites. And I know this because I go to them (laughs) and sometimes I've crossed paths unexpectedly with some famous folks. Never underestimate the power of a mentor. And I don't want to tell you who this mentor is, but what I can tell you is you'll discover in this very fast pace, sometimes difficult to follow, but deeply moving interview with Jason Vale, the surprising and inspiring mentor that made him the fearless man and leader he is today. Anyone who knows Jason will tell you he's charismatic, he's larger than life, he's also a sweetheart. He's written a total now of 16 best-selling books. He created a groundbreaking and critically acclaimed documentary film called Super Juice Me, and then went on to create a second one. You can check that out. He's been running sellout health retreats in Turkey and Portugal for years. His latest venture, and this is so exciting, is a, an out-of-this-world 40-acre retreat site called Juicy Escape in Southern Portugal. I am so excited. This place is supposed to open in 2024. I can't wait. He talks a little bit about it in this interview. Jason, no doubt, is one of the biggest game changers I have ever interviewed on my podcast. So without further ado, let's go meet Jason. Okay, so we'll dive right in. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm really excited to have you. And my first question is just what do you want listeners to know about you, Jason? Well, for those which run into the millions of people that don't know who I am in this world, um, I, I, I suppose what, sorry, rephrase that question. Sorry, start again and rephrase the question. Yeah, yeah. What do they want to know about? What do you mean? Or like, who are you? What's your background? So, yeah kick off again unless yeah okay all right (laughs) i love this so i guess i have two questions i know your story and i want listeners to know your story because it moves me every time and i've heard it so many times so that's one thing and then the other question is like what do you want people to know about you so there's what i want people to know about you and there's what you want people to know about you and i want you to answer both of those Okay, yeah, well, my upbringing, I suppose we could start a, a condensed version, but it's very, yeah. very difficult. So where do I start? One parent family, grew up in a part of London called Peckham, Southeast London. Uh, at the time of growing up, I suppose the closest thing that it was akin to is, um, is the Bronx in New York. Um, to, to put it in perspective, Peckham Rye Park, uh, in one of the years that I was a, a very young person, uh, maybe at the age of 11 or 12 Peckham Rye Park had more murders and stabbings than New York Park than Central Park in New York and at the time they had horrific incidents as well um to give you an idea I mean I was I was silly things but I was mugged at knife point 14 times growing up I was I mean it was it was a rough upbringing it's only me and my mom there was no no brothers no sisters no father in fact my mom is or was unfortunately she's passed but she was my brother my sister um she was my father she was just condensed everything she was also my best friend on earth so she was my my ultimate mentor and she as we as as you can imagine 
money was a was a massive issue, but love wasn't, which I I, I wouldn't trade the two for for all the for all the money in the world, um, to because they say it's a cliche, but there's no. So I don't consider myself as having a a bad childhood. But in amongst all of that, so I left school at fifteen. Um, to cut a long story short, my mom had the cyst the size of an orange on one of her ovaries. She went into King's College Hospital in London, and they unfortunately had a bad day at the office, which is all that happened. Uh, they didn't clearly do it deliberately, but they took out the wrong ovary. So that meant that she was now in bed. Now, of course, there was no one else to look after her. I mean, no one else. I mean, it was her sister that put us on the street. We lived on the streets as well. Anyway, when I was about seven, long involved story, but literally genuinely not a made up story. We was on the streets. My mom was trying to find a house for us. And anyway, long involved story that I had to leave school at 15 in order to take care of my mom. So I ended up, so therefore there was no, not only no upper education, there was no even finished education. Uh, I didn't sit one exam in my entire life, not one. I didn't, I think I did drama. I think that was the only thing uh, that I did. So I looked after my mom for a couple of years um, and she was the one that really dived into health. And we saw that the, 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 the cyst that was still there, obviously on the, on the, on the other over, um, went away within, I don't know, about a year or a year and a half. And, and all she did was implement fruits and vegetables and some other uh, natural remedies like herbs and stuff that she read a book called Back to Eden. So I, I was astonished by this, um, considering everything else. But I didn't, I didn't do anything health-wise even at that stage. I was 16, 17 at this point. I found everything. I mean, I lived on North Peckham Estate, not even just Peckham, but North Peckham Estate. And, uh, and we lived in a squat. And so we would, my day was this, I mean, to cut you, I would wake up at 4, 4 p.m. That's hard to imagine, but wake up at 4 p.m. because we've been getting stoned and getting drunk and playing computer games all night long. So all we had was, four, so at 4 p.m., we'd all wake up completely hungover on every level. And then our only mission was, right, where do we find some money in order to go to the off-license to, to go and buy some more uh, beer? When I say beer, I mean, it was there's products called Special Brew <laughs> and Tenant Super. I don't know if there was any anywhere else than other than the UK. These things you could set fire to them. We were basically trying to get more alcohol for less money. That's the that was the idea. Plus, then we was going to try and score some gear, so we would go on the estate, try to avoid getting mugged, but very hard because we were trying to get some gear. So we'd get some hash, but then we moved on from hash and went on to skunk. I'm just trying, I haven't told my story for a long time, so this is like God, I'm just realizing how 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 crazy this must sound. So yeah, yeah, but I have to say this is really cool because I've heard your story many times, and there's details in here that are new for me. There's things uh, I haven't heard. Yeah, well, there's things I wouldn't say in a seminar, hopefully, you know. So yeah, but then I want to. Then we would smoke skunk, but then and then all of my unfortunately all of my friends genuinely sort of went on to heroin. I mean, it's it's a relatively pure drug heroin, contrary to what people believe, and it kills very few people per year because of the purity of the drug itself. It's horrific, but very few go from chasing the dragon. You didn't think you, <laughs> this is a podcast on leadership and I'm teaching how to take heroin. Brilliant. <laughs> um, but this is from, from, from chasing that. I never did it. Luckily, my mentor, my mother, because of a story she told me, I never did that. I did other stuff. I sniffed stuff. I did all, but I never did the heroin thing. But my friends did, and unfortunately, my brother from another mother, because uh, it's very rare to go from chasing the dragon to to inject injecting, because the fear of needles and fear of injecting normally overrides even the uh, uh, immunity and tolerance that somebody's built up to that drug, even though it can be quite severe. And two of the two of my friends went beyond the chasing the dragon and went into injecting. 
and Phil, who looked like Elvis, so it's not relevant, but he was so beautiful, just beautiful. And he, unfortunately, I think he was 17, maybe 18, uh, and he died. He, he, he was my brother from another mother, and he, he just died. He, he, was, he, was like, he died like Elvis, weirdly, looking like him. He was, he was found in a toilet, um, uh, slumped over with heroin nearby, but he also had four cans of special brew, but it would never have gone down as an alcohol death interestingly uh, alcohol was never mentioned he made the front page of the of the local paper as well you don't want to, you don't want to make that front page that's for sure um so so there was a lot of obviously there was a lot of drugs going around a lot of this so inevitably i got involved in that there was no other there's no other mentor i mean you become who you hang around with number one i mean everybody said this for years i didn't know this um until years later but you you are you are you're a complete commodity of your surroundings and especially those that influence you. And you think you're, I thought my mother was my biggest influence, but of course there comes a point, a tipping point where that no longer is the case for a short period of time where your influence is the people you're looking up to. Whether it's John Travolta on the, on the big screen at the time, which is why I started smoking cigarettes, because I had a leather jacket and then I needed a cigarette, or whether it's the people that you're hanging around with and it's cool to take, you know, not cocaine or it's called cool to take speed or have hash and it's cool not to work and it's cool to sign on the dole well, it's not cool you just couldn't find any jobs you actually couldn't um i say that now i look back now i think yeah you could have always found a job um and and i did work hard. I, I mean i worked really i was a saturday i worked as a saturday boy from the age of 12 and it was only when unfortunately the age i think looking after my mom for two years leaving school finding those people i found that mindset at the same time of oh there's no opportunities out there now, despite the fact I'd worked my socks off till I was 17, even then, trying to support my mum, but the mindset came in, drank a lot, this, that, anyway, so inevitably, illness started to occur. What, what happens? If you start eating no fruits and vegetables, you don't move your body, um, and all you have is kind of drugs, especially skunk, and you get the munchies and everything else, and you eat junk. Well, I became significantly overweight, I mean, very overweight, in fact. Um, I had much bigger breasts than my mum, so that's never a good look uh, for a guy. Um, that's, but I was very overweight, and I was also a heavy smoker. I was a heavy, I would smoke 40, 60 cigarettes a day. I was a heavy drinker, as I've already mentioned, but I would, I would consume something in the region of 12 to 14 pints of lager a day. That's without Southern Comfort as a, as a chaser and stuff like that. There was no opportunities, like I said, no money. I would puff. And then I developed a skin disease called psoriasis. Um, I was covered in it. 95% coverage. I had severe asthma. I was taking the asthma pump 14, 16 times a day. I had my cigarettes in one pocket, asthma pump in the other pocket, because uh, they went hand in hand. Um, <laughs> severe hay fever. Yeah, all of those things. And that, that was, that was, that's the background, really, of, of all of those things accumulating. So that, but what, I mean, it's a twofold question. That's kind of like the back, it's a very limited background. I mean, God, we even emigrated to Africa, me and my mom. We had to live in a mud hut. We, I mean, there's so many stories, it's ridiculous. But you come out the other side, it wasn't an epiphany. It was just a case of, right, I need to look for, for new mentors. I don't know if I knew it consciously, but I, I knew I didn't. It sounds awful, and it's not a downtrodden on anybody who happens to find themselves on these estates or anything else. There, for the grace of God, go I. But I didn't belong, I, it's not an, it's, and it's not a slag off to any, it's just, I'm sure many people in that environment, I just, there's something that I thought, I, this isn't me, I don't, they, this isn't who I want to be, this isn't the life, but there was no, there was no leaders. And then, like many people back then, I saw an infomercial on the television, 
And it was one of these things, because we were just puffing and these late night commercials came on. And on one of them, there was Tony Robbins. And he goes, hi, I'm Anthony Robbins. I've helped God knows how many people over the years. I'm like a megastar. And I'm like, who is this guy? I don't even know who this guy is. So they said, you can get my tape course. Right, anyway, whatever. So we figured, we were always ducking and diving. His tape course was 110 pounds. We didn't have anywhere, like, I didn't have, it's like, how much have you got in your bank account? There was no bank account. There was no money. It's like people say, oh, there was more month left at the end of the money. <laughs> there, was, there was a whole month left at the end of the money, right? It was ridiculous. And there was nowhere to get it. There's no, fa no family member had money. No, he always reached for, no, nobody had it. So I looked and there was something about this guy that resonated. He was a bit too American for me, but that's how it was in my head. And he was a bit too, you know, rah, rah. And I just thought, but that's something he's saying. I don't know what it is. And I said to him, my gosh, we'll chip in. Why don't we get this as a 30 day money back guarantee? We get money back in 30 days. I said, and, and, and why don't we just record the tape? So we have tape to tape, buy some blank cassettes and we can all get it because we just pirate his, it's an awful thing right. really, but we just, you know, that's what we do. So we, we I, I bought the thing, got it back, tried to get the money from my friends and they never got it. I thought you guys, man, they never gave me the money. And I tell you what, it was a monumental change in my life when already on day four, day four, and I was consistently, he, he, he talks on day one. This is personal power one. This is what, 30 years ago? <laughs> I don't know. It's a long time ago, 25, oh, yeah. 30 years ago. And he, he says, this tape course, it's a 30 day course. It's not a five day course, 30. In, in other words, if you're going to do something, you commit to it and it's 30 days. And he just, this, this time factor of, if you can't do this, what can you do? And I'm like, fucking don't challenge me. I'll do it. So, so I was on day four and I already knew on day four, I was never in a million years going to send them back and ask my money back because the value that I already had, it would have made me feel wrong. Even at that point, even though we couldn't afford it, I just thought this person is offering so much value. Now, of course, he got a lot of that value from Jim Rowan and you go on down the line. We're all a product of various other people, but we bring our own tune. And I resonated with his tune. Not everybody does, but I did. And we need to find somebody that we resonate their tune. That's all it is. And then over the years, and I've got to know Tony and this, that and the other. And it's just, and it's weird over the years to find myself years later being invited by him to come to Palm Springs to to go to lunch at his event and be in his, you know, same group, group one and his family and this day. And it was just crazy. And it was just like, oh. that's kind of insane. Now, we've, I, I don't know him that well. And I followed him on stage years later. There was the XL, I think it was 5,000 people. And I, I just thought, this is nuts. And it was the best hour of my life. I got 5,000 people doing Grease Lightning and we just had a great time and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of like where it was to where but it took me a long time. like it's a really weird thing with 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 tony not with tony he's not responsible for anything with with tony's teachings essentially which which could be argued there are several people's teaching in one but i never stopped smoking stopped drinking at the back at the end of the 30 days i didn't do any of that he he didn't help like it's his responsibility again like i for whatever reason i didn't stop drinking i didn't stop smoking any of that stuff i didn't stop eating crap within 30 days, none of that, but I got out of Peckham. What he did was give me this mindset to go right, get, now of course I cut down on drink this time. You can't, you can't drink 14 pints of lager a day 
and be successful. You can't do it. It's not going to happen in, in, in your world. And then it's funny, years later, I wrote a book on alcohol, really weird. And and the biggest growth spurt, without doubt, business-wise that I had is when I was completely teetotal. I mean, I, I didn't drink for, I think, 16 years or whatever it was. I mean, there was, there was no period in my 30s. In my 30s, I didn't touch a drop of drink at all. And I very rarely have drink now, but I mean, here it yeah, is. Yes, so I just want to pause you there because I want to ask you, how old were you when you saw that infomercial? Listen, I think I was 20, I want to say I was 23. I think I was 23. I'm 53 now. I think it was 30 years ago. So I just have to say, because I we've never talked about this, because all the times that we've talked about this is really cool. I'm getting all these like bits and pieces <laughs> that are new. Um, but I he, I he was my first self-help book that I read. I was 14. I read his first book when Unlimited I was power. 14 or 15, Unlimited Power. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I read it entirely, but I was already gone. Yeah, it was a little bit too much for me as a high school student and a cheerleader and whatever, but I had it, I bought it, I read parts of it, and it was the beginning of what was later to be something that I would get involved in career-wise. So this is interesting because you've never told me that Tony Robbins was an influence for you. This is the no, first because where would it come? Well, where would it come up? Well, right, exactly. So let's go to the like next chapter. So then what happened? You got out of there. Then what happened? Well, no, I had the mindset to get out of Peckham. So the point was, is that I think I mentally left Peckham before I physically left Peckham. Yeah. So it was one of, it was one of those things. I had, to, I had to find a way to get a council house of my own, which unless you had certain things wrong with you <laughs> or whatever, you just, you couldn't do it. So I'm always looking at life as a board game. So, and I'm always thinking there's always another way. In fact, my biggest thing that I've got in my head, which hasn't been taught by anybody by me, other than my mom, right? So my mom was just like, there's always another way, no matter what. It doesn't matter whether you're, in, and there's always an easy way and there's always a simpler way. So don't overcomplicate issues. And it, again, it goes back to that. Well, I think it was a made up story, but it's, it's been used by many people and many um, speakers over the world. But I think there's some element of truth to it, even in terms of, I just love the analogy. NASA, it's an old one, but NASA apparently spent $100,000 developing a zero gravity pen. There are such things as zero gravity pens. I don't know how, how wrong the story is, but, but I love the story, real or no real, because it's actually kind of illustrates so much. $100,000 creating a zero gravity pen. They then go up to um, space and the Russian cosmonauts, the story goes, the Russian cosmonauts met up with them. And, and at some point they were showing off their zero gravity pen and the Russians went, well, we brought a pencil. And it does the same thing. Now it's been overused that analogy, but the point is, you can overcomplicate right. everything. So I physically, so so I thought, well, how, how am I going to get out of here? How how much? Because we had no money. It's easy. Look, you can get out of anywhere if you've got money, right? And you, or contacts. I had none. There was no social media. There was no LinkedIn. There was no anything. You couldn't schmooze anybody. You couldn't do anything, right? That's that's the end of the story. So it's like, well, how do we get out of here? So it was like, and I wanted a better life for my mom. My mom just unfortunately, you know, got just beaten up by people, you know, physically as well. I mean, she, I mean, I, I didn't have a dad, but she, she would obviously look for a, a, a husband, a boyfriend, whatever you want to call them, but somebody to hang out with and stuff. And there were some horrific, horrific people that she had. Ken was probably the worst. Ken was, was uh, what I now call a dementor because of Harry Potter. Uh, but there are several people that will, come into your life and their sole purpose is to suck the joy from life but some go further and ken went further so to give you an example genuine story i'm, I'm about at this point how old am i when ken i'm about 11 at this point 
and Ken would, my mom would go to work and Ken would be around and I'd come back from school. My mom was still trying to work late. Um, he would pick me up by, by my skin, punch me in the face. He would slap me around. When my mom tried to get rid of him, he'd slit his wrist and cover us both in blood. The police would come, but back then, of course, the challenge back then, of course, nobody believed domestic violence. It was a very misogynist police force even back then. It was awful. And so the police would come and say, well, unless we physically see him doing it. What stupid rule is that? Let's be physically see him doing it. And then he, he tried to run her over in the middle of the street, people screaming. I was screaming as a young kid. Um, he, would, he, he held a prisoner psychologically, yeah. um, which is worse than physically because, of, because people think you're stupid for not just getting out. So it, that, was kind of, that was kind of awful. I know I'm going off on tangents here, but, but, the, but so, so, all, all of the, so there was no other method. There was still fundamentally me and my mum. And then and I had Tony Robbins' voice and my mum's voice. It's like, well, how do we get out? And then a, somebody said to me, look, they've read a book. Am I smoking? I hate smoking. And they said, look, I've read this book on stopping smoking. And I said, a book? And they went, yeah. Now, back then, it was hard to think a book could stop you smoking. Now, it's, people can understand it. But back then, it seemed like ludicrous. And they said, I read this book. I read it in like two hours, and I don't smoke anymore. And it was one of my friends. And I went, don't be so stupid. <laughs> and I said, well, how long have you stopped for? He went, it doesn't matter. Well, of course it does. And he went, it doesn't matter. Once you, know, once you get set free from a prison, you're free. And I thought, I don't know what you're talking No, 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 you've got to wait three months before you're free because of the nonsense we hear. And he said, why don't you read it? I said, because I haven't read anything. I don't read. I said, I can't read. I said, I'm hugely dyslexic. Everything I write is backwards. I said, I can't read a book because I get a headache. And they said, yeah, but if you read this, you might, I said, even if it takes you five days to, to, to read the whole thing. So I read this book and it was, it was a, guy, a guy called Alan Carr, A-double-L-E-N, Alan Carr. Um, he's passed away now. And it was the easy way to stop smoking. And I read this book and I went and I put the book down and I couldn't figure it out, right? Two days later, I'm not smoking. Three days later, I'm not smoking. And I'm saying to my, they said, do you want a cigarette? I went, no, no, good. I wasn't avoiding smoking. I wasn't doing anything. I went, what is this trickery going on? <laughs> uh, but of course, all he had done is explain the nature, the true nature of, of what is a wonderful confidence trick, which is what addiction is. So, so I went into the fascination of addiction, like the, the people, because he simplified it to the point of, it went beyond Robin. Robin's was a, a kind of almost aversion therapy, a bit like NLP yeah. and this one and the other, when actually this goes way beyond, this is so simple, it's a joke. The premise is you're not giving anything up, you're getting rid of something, that's the premise of it. But you need to, first of all, understand that there's genuinely nothing to give up. So he goes through and breaks down why there isn't. And so I it got to the end of it. Anyway, eight months later, and I'm telling everybody stop smoking, and the weird thing happened was eight months later, I picked up a joint at a party. And then two months later, I was smoking cigarettes again. And even I'm so convinced by this methodology, that even when I'm smoking, I'm telling people, you should read this book. Because <laughs> I'm so convinced. And it took me, and, and then I reread the book. But of course, it's a bit like the film, The Sixth Sense. And if any listener at the moment hasn't seen The Sixth Sense, uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, uh, but he was dead all the way through. <laughs> um, just, you should, you should have, you should have watched it already. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but, but most people have seen The Sixth Sense twice, weirdly, right? So you watch it the first time and it's a revelation. Second time you watch it, there's no way you can get the same impact. It's impossible. You get different things from it. Right. You can't get the same impact twice. It's an impossibility. And so I tried to reread the book going, well, I've, I already know that. I already know it. as if something new is going to be in the book. Um, and then it took me a long time afterwards. But then eventually I realized, actually, I need to do something too. I was expecting Alan 
to stop me smoking, which was ridiculous because I thought he had done that. But actually, I, I stopped me smoking by just understanding the concept. And it's like, mm. anyway, cut a long story short, I eventually kicked smoking. Then I wanted to make it my mission. So I thought, how am I going to get? So in the end, I got hold of the Alan Carr organization. And I said, I'm going to, I am going to be your best therapist. Now I'm 24 at the time, right? And they said, and they said, uh, well, who, Robin Haley, who's Oxbridge. So he went, he, he's very posh. He's so posh. And, uh, and he goes, who are you? And I was just, and he was very rude as well. Really rude. And he was kind of running the Alan Carr organization, but it wasn't an organization. It was Alan and Robin really. It's like, you know, that's how it was. And it was just, anyway, so I went for an interview and he said, yes, well, I can offer you the franchise in Birmingham. Now, Birmingham, right, is it like a hundred miles away from London, but a million miles away from London. Anything outside the M25 is a million miles away from London. And I've only ever known London, Southeast London, Duck Dive. And my mom, did, and I said, mom, look, if you'll get this opportunity, I can go to Birmingham, which I was so scared. Didn't know anybody up there, didn't know the cult, didn't know anything. But I had to get it first, the franchise. And, and they give me a script. It was a five hour script, by the way. Now that's like, that, that's me talking to somebody for five hours. <laughs> that's like learning gone with the wind, everybody's part. How am I going to learn this thing? By the way, I'm painting and decorating. I'm also at the same time working down a tire shop in Brixton and I'm working uh, in a bar in the seven dials at common gun. I had three jobs. So when am I going to find the time to learn this stuff to get me out of Peckham? Because while people say, oh, it's easy. All you've got to do is this. If you just applied yourself. Yeah, but you're not working three jobs, are you? It's fine when you're on TikTok and your father's taking care of everything with your money. But if you've got to work three jobs, then where are you going to find the time or the energy? So I thought 4 a.m. It's the only time I've got. I've got nothing else. So it was like 4 a.m. So 4 till 7 a.m. was all my learning time. And I thought, I because Robin went, oh, you can have the frank. He said, it's 5,000 pounds. I went, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I thought, where am I going to get five grand from? Um, anyway, I did some market. I went down the markets. I did some markets. I tried to buy and sell stuff. And I bet I saved, saved, saved. Got the fight. Kept putting him off. Got like 500 pounds. So I've got it. I'll pay you next week. Meanwhile, I was learning. And then I think I've told anybody the story, to be fair. But anyway, and then I was learning. And then I used to go to Brockwell Lido and then learn at four, four and then go swimming and then go and do my jobs. Anyway, in the end, my mom was great. I had a delivery job as well. So all the way delivering around London, my mom was with me and we would learn the script, learn the script. Meanwhile, she's smoking, right? So it's crazy because she was a big smoker. And then anyway, to cut a long story short, we, I eventually moved to Birmingham. And on December the 12th, 1995, was my first ever stop smoking session with my ex-wife. Uh, I hate calling her ex-wife. That sounds derogatory. Ellie, one of my, the most wonderful human beings on planet Earth. I had the privilege of spending 13 years of my life with. It's horrible. It, it, it has such a cliche when you say something like that. But she's a wonderful woman. Anyway, but she, so, so, so um, we're still friends to this day. She's a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Anyway, so she was, she was one of, because uh, she was still smoking a year after I'd stopped. And my mom was still, and then my cousin, who was like my sister. Um, so they were all smoking and everybody said, don't do it to people, you know, they have no respect. They know your background, this, that, and the other. So I went, well, that's the time to do it. If I'm going to go in the deep end, let's go. So I went in. That was my first ever session. I was so nervous and I've gone and I've done the whole script. My mom's heard the script for a whole year. You got to bear that in mind. She put out a cigarette and she never smoked for, I think it was eight years to the, till her husband died, which was such a shame. But my ex uh, wife stopped smoking and so did my cousin, 100% success rate. And then I started the clinic and then I lived in Birmingham. And then from that, I thought, hang on, this, we're missing a trick here. This, this, 
A similar methodology, but it needs to be thought about properly, can be used for alcohol. A similar methodology can be used for weight loss, in particular, because you can stop smoking, you can stop drinking, but you can't stop food. So what can we do? Can we change the brand of food? My brain went crazy. And I just went, there's a way to do it. And I said to my mom, I'm writing a book. And she went, what? And she was my biggest supporter, but she went, don't be so silly. <laughs> she was already proud that I was already doing this, this therapy stuff, but she just went, really? You're writing a book? Are you crazy? And I said, yeah. I said, I don't care if, if one person reads it and it helps them. And I meant it. I genuinely did. There was no social media. There was no that you couldn't promote yourself. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then I wrote Slim for Life. I just wrote this book called Slim for Life. I'd already, I'd already left Alan Carr at the time. Me and him fell out. We, we made up six months before he died. Um, so there's no reason to go into why we fell out. It's irrelevant now. It doesn't matter. As you realize, as you get older, most things aren't. We wish we'd kissed and made up before. It's ridiculous. Most things you think are big aren't and stuff. It's nonsense. Anyway, so, but, but I, I ended up at 30. So after the Alan Carr thing, and I bought this franchise, and I was doing well, everything else, because of this falling out, I... I ended up with nothing again. So I'm 30 years of age. I now have no money again. I have no career anymore. They removed the franchise from me. All of this kind of stuff. And it was, and I didn't have the money to sue them, right? Because you, you can't. It's like playing, you know, brag with a freaking billionaire or whatever. So I couldn't. So it's just like, okay. So I got destroyed there. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do? So again, I started painting, decorating. Now I'm back 30. Now I'm back in Peckham. Genuinely back in Peckham, left Birmingham again, back in Peckham, painting, decorate. Listen, at 30, look, it's hard to, look, I know it's cliched that there are certain roles, but there are. And I don't care what people say. Yes, there are masculine and feminine traits, and there are some people with masculine traits and some people with feminine traits. Absolutely, we've all got both. But there is a primary. This is why stereotypes are stereotypes. This is why they're called stereotypes. Men, on the whole, do want to protect. It's built within them, right? It's built back there. Men do want... To, it's not the money so much they want. It's that it gives them the, the ability to protect their mother or protect this or to do something. So I'm sure being at any gender when you're 30, especially back then, it's devastating. For me, being a guy at 30 and having everything ripped and your confidence is down there, and I went to depression for six months. I mean, proper depression. Like It was the only time I would say I was depressed and, and genuinely what they call suicide. I didn't see the point. I genuinely didn't see the point. I went, what is the point of all that? And if it wasn't for my mum just being around because it would have crucified her, I was like, well, what's the point of any of this? What's the point of the game of life? And then I just, about six months later, I just started to lift a bit and I was still working and everything else. And I thought, I'm going to write a book because I've got this passion for nutrition. Because even though I was depressed, I never ate badly. I didn't pick up smoking again, nor drinking. Because that just would have made it worse. I went, I'm depressed enough as it is. Why the hell do I need a drink? That's a depressant. This is crazy. So then I started writing Slim for Life, which is now quite an infamous book, but Freedom from the Diet Trap. And I wrote a big book like this. And I'm like, okay, I need to give it to a publisher. And this was, this was the thing that changed my life entirely. This was the one of all the things. So the, all of it's a stepping stone. Um, and I realized I'm just monopolizing this. this okay, I like thing. it. I like it. Uh, however, so I've got the, um, the manuscript. And anyway, so we're in Packham, obviously, and back in, back in the council. But anyway, so I've, I've taken the book to my mom and she's starting to read it. She goes, oh, that's not, you know, but she still thinks. And she went, oh, that's good. But my mom would say anything's good that I did, you know. Right. I, I, I made her once this, this, this apple out of clay in, in a pottery <laughs> class. It's the worst thing on earth, right? But to her, it was the most precious thing on earth, and she kept it to the day she died, and it's one of those. So she would say anything's good. So I knew I needed somebody else to tell me, right? <laughs> yeah. So I went So I went to, and my mom said, look, I've got a, a friend of a friend who, who knows somebody in publishing, because we didn't know a lot. 
<laughs> in fact, if you don't know a lot of people in pharmacy. Anyway, so this woman come around. I switched. Imagine this. I've spent a year and a half writing this book while doing two jobs at that point, not three, two jobs at that point. I then open and that's painting, decorating and down the market. And I'm and I'm, and then she opened the book, starts reading it and she went. This is not good. Now, can you imagine this is the, I, I, I thought she was joking and I went, oh, that's funny. She went, no, this is really bad. And I said, what makes it bad? She went, do you know you've got like 18 exclamation marks on the opening page? <laughs> So I said, and I'm making a point. That's how you talk. And then, yeah. and, then, and then she said, yeah, but if by making too many points, it means you're not making any point. And I went, I have no idea what you're talking about. So, and she goes, it sounds like you're speaking. I went, and she goes, well, you should write the way people write. I said, I've got no, I, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. I said, nor do I want to be. I said, I've just got this, this passion to put this information in a book to help people. That's it. I said, I'm not trying to win a Pulitzer Prize or anything, right? That's it. So she went, so she goes, okay. She goes, well, who are you thinking of sending it to? I said, I'm going to send it straight to Thorson's, which is an arm of HarperCollins, right? I said, they're the health arm sent straight there. She goes, well, what are you sending? I said, the thing, I'm sending the manuscript. She goes, no, no. She goes, I've got help. <laughs> Nobody sends a manuscript. I said, okay. I said, well, what do they send? She goes, they send three chapters at best and a synopsis. I said, okay, how long have they been doing that? She goes, years, because they didn't have time to remember the scripts, they just put them in the bin. So I said, well, they've been doing it for a long time. They went, yeah. She went, yeah. I said, so who sends the whole manuscript now? She goes, nobody. I said, it's okay, so I could stand out. <laughs> I said, so, so if nobody's doing it, then if I do it, then it'll be something a little bit different. She goes, oh, no. She goes, look, you've got to do it through, she goes, you've got to do it through an agent. So I said, okay, like a book agent. She went, yeah. I said, okay, do you know any book agents? She goes, yes, but none that would take you on. <laughs> so I'm like, so hit me when I'm down. So I'm just like, okay, well, I'd send it. Anyway, so I went to this, this fair show, book fair show, and I saw Thorson's, and I went like that, and I looked at some people, and there was a woman there called Wanda White, and I clocked the name, went like that. And then I took, so I was with my mom on a Wednesday afternoon in Peckham, putting it through the post office box. It was, it was, it was 12 noon on a Wednesday, and I'm posting this thing. This would have been in the year 2000, 2001, no, 2001, early doors. And I'm just posting this book through the, uh, through the letter box, uh, through the, uh, the post box. And I said to my mom, I've either just sent a load of paper with bits of ink on it. I said, it will amount to nothing or depending on how that ink has been placed will determine whether our lives improve in other people's. I said, that's the defining life. I had this little bit of paper. I thought, that's mad. Depending on how ink's been put on a piece of paper, that's all it is. And whether it resonates anyway so i'm going following day i said the whole manuscript to wonder why following day i'm going for a rollerblade and i've got my I've got my rollerblades with me the phone starts ringing and i can't leave the phone ringing because there's no mobile phone so i have to go upstairs to get the phone so i go upstairs and get the phone and then she goes honestly she goes she goes hello is that jason i went yeah who's that she goes it's wonder whiteley from harper collins I went, oh my, I said, listen, please, I beg of you. I said, please, please read the book. Don't, I said, ignore some punctuations, ignore this. I said, the essence of the book. I said, please read it. I said, I spent a year and a half, it's different to every other health book you can ever imagine. It's addiction based, it's nothing to do. She went, shut up. She said, this, she goes, by the way, just so you know, we're in a room, there's 20 of us and you're on speakerphone. I swear this happened. And I went, wow. And I said, okay, what's going on? I said, but you can't have read the book. She goes, we, I read the first four chapters. 
She said, and I've called everybody in and I'm calling you immediately. And I said, oh, it's making me feel very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, just a little bit. There. I've told the story for years. And she said, because ultimately it changed everything. And she says, the best thing I've read on this subject in 25 years. I, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't even emotional. I was just like, I didn't know what happened. So because I've, I'm so used to ducking and diving, because I'm a market guy, I just like, and I had no one batting for me. I went, well, random house are interested. And of course, and of course they're not. I haven't sent it to anybody else. <laughs> oh my god! Right about interesting. She went. Listen, what are you what are you doing tomorrow? I said, Well, I look. I've nothing on. <laughs> and I said, I'm doing the work. Is that? She goes. What do you do? She goes. Can you come into Harper Collins? And she said, Can you uh, can you come in and sign a contract? And can we, can we get you? Is there anything we can do to persuade you to come with us? Oh. And I don't know if anybody's had this feeling. And you can't. Do you know what it reminds me of? You can't, you know, when somebody says, what are you doing for your birthday? Or what are you doing? Like you, you go and you, you've, you've graduated or you've done something. And then somebody says, oh, when should we celebrate that? You can't, it, it, there's only one moment. The, yeah. You, you, yeah. you can never capture it again, ever again. It's that moment. So a week later you go, oh, we're celebrating that too late. It's done. It's that moment. And I remember going rollerblading. And if you ever felt so frigging happy about something, I'm going around, I'm speaking to everybody. I'm around this park going, hello, how are you? It's a great day. This is the best thing ever. And I just could. And what I did, and listen, this is a little, little, all I would say is a little word of what anybody, anybody getting involved in any of this and they happen to, to have somebody as beautiful as Wanda Whiteley that sees something in you. And, she, and, and we remained friends for years. She's a beautiful woman from HarperCollins. And if you ever see that, um, remember one thing, you may want to still have someone batting for you. I was so grateful for HarperCollins. I forgot they're, they're a business. I was so grateful. So what they did is they gave me a contract. They gave me three condoms. They bent me over and they screwed me. But I didn't realize. <laughs> But I didn't realize to what extent, because I would have signed anything. Right. And I didn't care. And even, this, and even to this day, I still don't care. I'm so utterly grateful to those, to Wanda Whiteley, essentially. It was her. It was, you know, Harper, she convinced HarperCollins to do it. And then we ended up doing many books. I think we ended up doing 10 books together. It was trans we did Seven Pounds, Seven Days. Seven Pounds, Seven Days is the only juice book to ever hit number one on Amazon. And not the Da Vinci Code off number one. It's incredible. So, so pause, because, you know, remember that my listeners may not know I mean, a lot of them may not know what you've done since. since Sorry, then, yeah. right? So, right. So let's just let's fast forward and then and then we'll go back because I want to fast forward to. We need a second episode. We need I know, I know. We, we need like three or four hours. But I want to <laughs> fast forward because I was just at Juicy Oasis, okay. which is outside of Portugal for, for people who are listening in a town which I can't pronounce. What's the name of the town? It's, well, it's not really in a town. It's in a town called Fred de Cesare, but not really. It's on the river. For air, it's on the river de Cesare, um, and I can't really pronounce it that well either. Uh, but it's in the middle. If you've got a map of Portugal, you went dead center. That's exactly where it is. Okay, well that's good to know because I, I I've never looked at that and realized that it was dead center. But what I can say about Juicy because I was just there is that well I don't know if you know this Jason. In the last year and a half, I've done six weeks at Juicy Oasis. Yeah. <laughs> you could say I, I'm one of your biggest fans. But the, the, the beautiful thing that I want to share here, and then we're going to go back and have you fill in some, some of the, the story that brought, you know, brought us here together having this conversation right now, um, is that I told you, Sophie, I called you last minute. I was scheduled for a week. I told you, Sophie, uh, my daughter, somebody had broken her heart. 
And this was just two, three days before I was meant to go for my week at Juicy. <clears throat> and I contacted you and I told you, Jason, I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine leaving Sophia here on her own for a week. I mean, really, she, she couldn't get out of bed. And I thought, there's no way, I, I can't go to Juicy Oasis for a week and leave her in this state. And you were amazing, like in so many other occasions, bring her along, no problem, you know. And, uh, and you know, I haven't had a chance to tell you more about this, but it was a, a, a completely transformative week for Sophia. Let me see if I can hold it together and not become emotional here. When we got there, the first day she said, mom, I wanna go home, I wanna go back to Valencia. I, you know, I, I can't do this, but, but it was because she was so emotionally distraught. She said, I can't imagine, you know, when you're emotionally distraught, what you want to do is eat, you know, she's like, and, <laughs> and smoke, you know, she's a smoker. <clears throat> and she was like, I can't imagine being here for a week in this, in the emotional state I'm in. I, I, I don't think I can do it. And I said, well, you're, you're not going home, you know, so, you know, and you don't have any money, so <laughs> you're going to be here. And, and so, I mean, that sounds cruel, but I mean, that was the reality. I was absolutely not going to let her go home. So the first couple of days she didn't participate in much, but actually maybe the second day she went to yoga. The third day she went to yoga twice. The fourth day, it was like I, I could see her face changing, her, her body changing, her attitude. It was like something lifted her up in that space. And it was almost like I could say it was like a spiritual awakening. She got perspective on what happened. I could, I could feel her heart healing. We were having amazing conversations and in these yoga classes, and it's the new guy I just met for the first time, Christian, he was, yeah, it was yeah. the first, first week there. He does a lot of like affirmations and mantras and I could see them impacting her. And she came out of a week, a different person, Jason, like that week healed her. And of course I know what Juicy Oasis can do for me and for other people, but this is a 19 year old yeah. who told me later, if I had left her here in Valencia by herself, she doesn't know what she would have done. Yeah, you know, coming out empowered and confident and feeling great. And it wasn't like she didn't have little dips after that. It was hard. Of course. But something shifted forever in her, Jason, in a week. Yeah, well, it can, it can happen rapidly, can't it? I always say if you give yourself, not just give me, but if you give us 72 hours, we can give you your fire back to some extent and it's yeah. not us it's nature we never take credit the point is, is if you allow yourself no rubbish coming in including mentally for 72 hours that's normally the detox process forget the word detox withdrawal that's what it is you're withdrawing from all that stuff but whereas you're never going to do that if of course the usual way is, as sophie said is to is to feed to feed the emptiness there's, there's a big hole that, that occurred so the natural tendency is to try and fill it but the problem is you can't fill it with something that didn't cause it and so although rationally you know that you will try and try and try and so people gain weight they they have loads of cigarettes i did i did the same thing many many times and you, and you can't but there is something i'm biased but there is something genuinely magical about juicy oasis and i and i know i'm biased but i think and, I, and i'm not that spiritual if i'm honest i'm really not i'm a, more of a I'm not really a, a yoga person. I used to like yoga a little bit here and there, and I don't, mantras are great and everything else, but there's something about that. And I think my mom plays a part in it, and I'm not into that stuff, but you know, she was there, she stood there with me when it was a derelict building and I never had the money to build it at all. You know, people think you do, but I never had the money to build it. And she said, it was, it, it, she had stage four lung cancer, it was too late for her, this, that, and the other, which I refused to believe. And she said, nowhere in Europe, 
is doing anything like you would do. She said, so you owe it to everybody to do it. And I said, but mom, I can't afford to buy that. I don't have to run a hotel. I said, look, life's gonna, look, life's tough enough as it is. Don't do this to me. She goes, well, look, you've got no choice but to build it. And I said, what do you mean I've got no choice? She goes, because it's my dying wish. I went, you bastard. I said, oh, could you do that? But me and her were best friends. She had a great sense of humor. And she said, you can never sell it. She had certain rules. She said, look, you must do this, first of all. Um, I mean, Tony Robbins years ago said, if you've got a strong enough why, you find out how to do something, right? And, but you can't have a strong enough reason to do something than that person saying, that's my dying wish. I mean, I would have, I, I don't think there's enough hours in the day I would have worked to make sure that that building would have been, I mean, that's the, that's the essence of it. But, you know, I, you know, me and Katie, we picked everything in there. Like every single, there was no architect, there was no designer, there was no anything else. Because it, it, for us, it's, it's from the heart. It's like, this is our little thing. From every, like how are people gonna move from the gym to here? Right, can we have it there? And we're building within the structure and we have the restraints of, of money and everything else. We're like, how are we gonna build it, this, that, and the other? And my mom said, look, you can't sell it to any of the big chains. She goes, better still, you can't sell it. She goes, why would you wanna get out of this business? Cause it's not a business. And she, she's, I love her so much. Anyway, so she goes, it's not a business. Oh, sorry. This is, it's just such a beautiful story. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry, Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. Anyway, so she said, um, and she goes, you don't own it. She goes, don't be under any illusions that you ever own anything, which, which was all, she told me that for years. She goes, it's a 90 year holiday. It's the best piece of advice for all the gurus in the world, whatever, well, gurus aren't gurus. Anybody who calls themselves a guru is not a frigging guru, right? But anyway, but you go, she said, it's a 90 year holiday. The first five years you're dribbling, the last five years you dribbled. She said, you know, she goes, there's 80 years in between. And the key is to- have If you're lucky. If you're lucky, <laughs> exactly. Have a blast, right? Just have a blast. She goes, but be good, all the other stuff. She goes, but don't think you own anything. She goes, it's an illusion. She goes, oh, my house is bigger than yours. She goes, it's all nonsense. She said, so don't think you own the retreat. It's owned by the people that walk through the door every single week. And it's true, we have a meeting every Saturday. We say, listen, Although we're running week on week on week on week, it's too easy to go into this, for any industry, to go into this headspace of, it's just another week. Anybody says that, we go mad. It's like, no, it's not, because some people have saved up for six years to come. We don't know their story. Some people are in a little eco-pod. Some no. people are leaving children for the first time. Some people have parents that have just died. We don't know their story. We will never probably know their stories. We have no concept of their stories. Our only role here is to make sure that we are there for them, that we're not, it's not about therapy. We don't do any therapy, you know that. We don't Definitely. consciously, we let this, we always call it, let the place do the work. work. Let the space yeah. do the work. That's all it is. Because otherwise, there's not, you know, we don't want to sit around and go, what, how did that make you feel? This, that, there's enough of that going on. And I, 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 I'm not, in its own right, it can be okay. But I, I think too much of it can also be self-debilitating. So, so we just have this, and that's why I think Juicy Oasis just is this, special place it's just although you, live on juice, although you live on juice for a week it's so special it, it's not about the juice is it yeah well so that's what i was going to speak to what you just said is it's like there's a a belief in the resourcefulness of human beings and you put them together in a healthy environment and magic happens Correct. because i have done six weeks in the last year and a half every week has been a different group of people every group is different personalities and yeah. you know but what is universal is there's always special bonds that are created. There are deep therapeutical conversations that happen, even though you don't facilitate them. Correct. There Correct. are 
tragic stories in every group, Jason, because I do talk. I mean, I'm a talker and a listener. I do get, I don't get everybody's story, but I would say every time I've gotten half the people's stories and you're right. You know, some people, someone has just died. Someone is, you know, getting away from abuse. Someone's an alcoholic. Someone's, there's all sorts of stories. And what's beautiful is that it becomes this kind of week long, or in some cases, you know, I was there for two weeks. <laughs> Sometimes I've met people there who do, you know, sign on for a month. And, but, but it's like, there's a kind of sister brotherhood feel of we're in this together. And you know, there was a kid, there was a kid there who was uh, hmm. called a kid now, but he's, I think he's 19. But anyway, he was there in January. And it's funny, you don't realize, like you said, you don't realize the impact of words or anything else because you naturally do anybody who does this, it comes from a place, they're not doing it, you know, you're trying to make a difference first, then make money second. And if you do it the other way around, you're, you're screwed. It's, it's the wrong way around. And and this guy I was just chatting to, his father was there and everything else, but his, his son was was really big and beautiful boy though, just a great kid. So because he was so great, I just felt the need to have a chat with him. I just like, and I started talking to him about his mates and influences and this, just a little kid of a couple of days. No idea, his mom came two weeks ago and said, did you know? What happened to my son? And I, no, I have no idea. Now he left in January. Now we're recording this just the first of June is when we're recording this, but this was like so beginning of May. He's lost a hundred pounds, a hundred pounds. Like his, his father was just like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to this kid. But he's all of a sudden. But like you said, it's the beauty, and it's not. It's not. He just understood addiction was going through a little addiction talk and this, that, and the other, but just without being heavy. But he was willing to listen, and somebody's willing to listen. You're willing to give them a little bit of this, but even then, you know, you can lead a horse to water and everything else. But right, exactly, <clears throat> it is about timing, right? And, and you timing. know, yeah, it's, it's timing. That, that's what it is. It's like when somebody says, it, it, "The biggest bugbear is this." If anybody's listening out here who happens to be a coach or a therapist or anything else, and they have any client ever say to them this, or any guest or anything else say to them, "Oh, well, I did that." You know, I did what you said, but it didn't work. Feedback with this, because I've written it in most of my books, right? Is that um, it does work. You didn't do it, right? It worked. <laughs> you didn't do it, right? So that, that's the difference, is that you can't, it is you, I say. When they say it doesn't work, it is you. So you didn't work. That's it. So you can blame everybody else as much as you want for the rest of your entire life, but you've got to take some personal responsibility. Because yeah. when they start fighting against me, oh, you don't know what it's like. I go, really? Oh, dude. <laughs> I go, you can say that to most people, right? You can say those to people that's, that's inherited tons of money that's gone on an on a NLP course with Bander and McKenna. But you can't say that to me, right? Because I'll come back to you and say, that, you know, if you want to go down that spiral Monty Python story, you know, <laughs> we think I had it bad. I had to walk to school. <laughs> well, you had to walk to school. You were lucky you had legs, you know, and you go down and it's a great sketch. Um, but it's crazy. We've all got, I think everybody's got opportunities. I think the more, I tell you what, I feel sorry for people genuinely who's got all the money in the world that's inherited it for whatever reason. And I genuinely mean this, but don't have that mentor um, or, or love. And you can find them, they're out there. It doesn't matter if, they, if they're not your mother, your father, your guardian, your anything else. There's tons of them around. You haven't got to go, oh, well, that's my only place to look. There's tons, they're out there. And you can right, find you know, <clears throat> That's such a good point because in your story, your mother plays the absolute key role. The fact oh, yeah. that she loved you so much that she was such an important person for you, that made all the difference in the world. Oh. Had you not had her, who knows where you would be today? Well, I know, because all my friends. So if I, if I look at all the people that I grew up with, 
um, apart from some of the, I used to be a break dancer as well, anyway. but I used to go down Covent Garden and busk because I didn't go to school to, to earn money because, well, anyway, blah, anyway, long involved story. Um, but of all the people that I grew up with, I look back now, Georgie Gorman, one of my best friends, he's dead, Phil, dead, uh, Michael, I don't know what's happened to him, uh, Keith, dead, you know, and you, and you look and you go, yeah, I kind of guess, or the, if they're not actually dead, then they're, they're pretty much going through the motions until they actually pass away yeah. and it's just one of those and you just think yeah but that's and and the difference between and, the, and and that is the only difference between me and all of them the only difference same houses same this same council flat is is, is my mom yeah so, so never underestimate a mentor and don't bitch to think oh well my mom's like your mom weren't you lucky yeah i was, I was the most. listen if i if my mother wasn't my mother even to have known this extraordinary woman for 40 years. I was one of the most blessed humans on earth. But the fact she was my mum as well is insane. So it's hard for me to even go, oh, I was out of, you know, damn, my life's terrible because she died. It's like, God, I was privileged to have her, but it's, it's, it, it's hard. But if you don't have that person in your life, there are nine, sorry, there's seven billion people on earth. You tell me you can't find another mentor? <laughs> They're around. Yeah. They're around. They're in different guises. And they are around and they'll attach on to you because there's a lot of love in the world, a lot of love. Yeah. And if you go out there and, and, and they're what people want to help. Fundamentally, good people want to help people. Yeah, I agree. That's what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I, I think I asked you this one time before. I mean, I, because I'm, I'm so moved by your story and by your mother. And I just wonder, you know, if she were here right now, you know, what would she say is like, you've gone so much further beyond what she asked you to do she would just the only words that come out because it came out to her a lot was uh uh, uh, uh i'm just yeah it's, it's the words that everybody really wants to hear from it's the, the reason why we do anything isn't it which is why when my mother passed away and i didn't have any unconditional love left because there isn't people say oh you get unconditional love from other people no you don't it's always it's still there's always conditions like even the person that you like, even with Kate, my Kate. Now, those won't like my jokes, but it's a joke beforehand, right? But people say, you know, Kate said to me after, she goes, but I give you unconditional love. I said, you don't. So there are several conditions. One, don't sleep with my sister. Two, you know, but there's, what I'm saying is, there's quite a lot of conditions attached. Whereas, whereas, whereas with a, you know, with a mother, there are, there are no yeah, conditions. It's true. So the point is, is that very few people say it from the heart, no matter what you do, but she would always say whatever it is. And right now, like you said, what would she say? I an half proud of you. She goes, an half. She would say, an half. I an half proud of you. And that's all we want. Don't we? That's why we do it. We, we just want somebody to go, yeah, well done. That's all we want. I think that's all. You ask any guy, I don't know if it's the same for women, maybe it is. But I know for guys, you ask any guy, I know quite a few billionaires now, which I don't know how that happened, but anyway, I do. But again, it's irrelevant because they, they know that money means, it's just all of a sudden they get, and, and they've reached certain areas of their life. And, and sometimes they're in, a, I know one in particular who's in a marriage for 25 years and this, that, and the other. And, and, and he's always down, he's down, he's always down a lot. And I go, you're, you're right. And he goes, no. And then I had a, a proper chat with him and I said, and I haven't known you long. I said, but, because he sold a company. I'll give you an example. He sold a company for I don't know, whatever it was. I think it was 27 million, right? He's got several, but he sold one for 27 million. Now he's blessed enough. He's made himself blessed enough, but he's blessed enough that it didn't financially doesn't make an ounce of difference to him, right? He just wants to win, right? That's all it is, right? But also he built that company up and he did it. And it's a, it's a monumental achievement. I don't care how much money you've got. It's an incredible thing to do as a human. But he gets home, he tells his wife, and she goes, 
all right, anyway, listen, da 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 and starts because she's so used to it. She's so used right. to his amazingness. Right. And that's why a lot of relationships break up as well, by the way, is because it's too many bananas, I call it. It's too many bananas. And, that, and that, that's something I put in the book, Create Magic, is too many bananas. You know, and they did an experiment, you know, with monkeys, and, they, and the, the monkeys had no bananas. And then they fed, the, you might know the story, but for those that don't, but they fed, and they get, they, there's a whole load of bananas. So they gave him one banana. The monkey's frigging over the moon because he had one banana. Monkey couldn't be more grateful, hugging the person, give him one banana every day. Then there was a surplus of bananas that came in and they went, do you know what? We can afford for the next month to give them two bananas every day. This is fantastic. So they give the monkeys two bananas every day, every day. Then of course that ends, of course they have to go back to one banana. So now instead of being really grateful right. for one banana, they're pissed off they haven't got two. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and, then, and there's too many bananas. It happens in business when you, if you, if you, if you bonus your employees, to, if you go too often, if you, it sounds crazy, too many bananas. All of a sudden you're a great boss for, for doing it. And now you're an arsehole if you don't. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're like, too many bananas. That's what happens. So all of these, I don't know, there's tons of lessons in life. And I haven't, I've got so many to learn man. like this. So I am far, of course, I, I've been, that's the, I, I've got so many things that I still want to do, see this, and we've all got challenges. And I would say to people, look, if people think that Tony Robbins doesn't got, doesn't have bad days, that he doesn't put his head under a duvet some days and doesn't want to get up or doesn't think again, think again, I'm telling you, you know, cause that's the thing sometimes with these men, you think, oh, unless I'm like that all the time, that means I'm doing something wrong. So I might as well not get started. It can be detrimental unless you're real which is my latest documentary, Superduce Me One and a Half, was to show, look, I'm just letting you know I struggle too. It was just to say, look, I want to keep this real as I can because otherwise you might think, look, you know, it's, it's impossible. He's obviously got a different psyche or something. Yeah, well, yeah. He's made of something special, right? Something different. Of yeah. course, we're not. None of us are made of no, We're not. No, so just like, I want to jump to because I was just recently there and one of the things that I love about Juicy Oasis is also, I mean, if we just talk about well-being, it's just, you, you've thought of everything and I, I just have to speak to the beauty of the place. You know, when I got there and also the importance of gratitude, because even though I've been there lots of times, I think every time I go, I feel even more grateful to be there. That's one, and, that's one. and what you said earlier about having people treat it like their home, that is how it feels. I walked in those doors and I felt like I feel home here. You know, well, I, have a, I have a saying saying you're at Joey's. If you're friends, yeah. you know what that means. So whenever I do an opening talk, I go, you're at Joey's. And I say, look, the sauna, what time is it closed? It doesn't because you're at Joey's, right? <laughs> the gym, what time is it closed? You're at Joey's. And I say, look, if you get up at 3 a.m. and the, the sheet is over the hot tub outside and you think, oh, no, am, am I allowed to go in it? Of course, you're at Joey's. Take it <laughs> off. It's your hot tub. And that's the point yeah. is yeah. the reason why it feels like home is because it should do. Yeah. Hate these rules in hotels. Oh, the swimming pool closed at eight o'clock. The reason why I'm doing an American accent is only because when I went transatlantic, it was always the way. I was on jet lag and I'd go there and they'd go, oh, the spa closed at six o'clock. <laughs> why? why did it though? Do you not want to earn more money? You crazy person. Yeah, anyway, so it's yeah. a bit crazy. But yeah, there is, there is, I know what you mean. But it's not the best, but what's, what's extraordinary that I think about Juicy Oasis is that there are way nicer places, as in, as in, as in aesthetic, you can go to Dubai, you can go to Oman, you can go to the Six Senses, you can go in terms of, you know, the grandeur of places that you can go to, you know, six, seven pines, I think it's called, whatever. Yeah. These are unbelievable places. But the thing that makes Juicy Juicy are the people. Yeah. Well, I would say the people, 
I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I mean, the fact that it's somewhat small, that, you know, when it's yeah. maxed out, it's 40 some odd people. Yeah. You interact with some of the same people over and over again. You get to know people. There's a, there's a homey feel to it. You know, you can sit in the winter and play chess in front of the fireplace. And it's, yeah, uh, lots of factors and including the staff. So let's talk about that for a moment, because that's, you know, how do you choose and, and lead your staff? Because the staff is, is, is amazing from the people who clean the rooms to the people who run reception to the people who, who handle the phones, all of it. Well, I don't lead the staff. I think this is the thing. I didn't write, read any books on leadership or anything else. And I think the, the key is, is they lead themselves. And as my mom taught me is that when you go to work, she goes, you go to work for, for, two, for two reasons. You go to work um, for you, fundamentally. That's what you go to work. So that when you finish work, you get this sense of achievement. So it's for you. Fundamentally, this is for you. You can't cheat it. You can't. I used to be a paint and decorator and sometimes do, I did roofing. You don't want to be on a roof and pretending to knock a nail in or whatever the case is, because ultimately that night, you're not going to feel satisfied. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, it's for the, for if you're in a service industry in particular, you're going in for them. So I was a butcher once, weirdly, I know it's hard to believe now, but anyway, um, <laughs> but you'd go in and serve people and I worked down the market. So you're serving people. And it was, when I went down the market, it was all about how do I entertain these people for the day? Like they're having a, yeah, having a normal day, it's pouring down with rain and can I crack a few jokes and can I do this? And on the back of it, if we sell something great and if we don't, we don't, and we're just having a bit of a giggle. So all of the team, no matter who they are, it's just, it's just like, like, first of all, like, are we treating you fairly, whatever you deem to be fairly? Because everybody has a different opinion of that, right? So there you go. Right. There, and, and a constant reminder, there is no hierarchy. Now, clearly there is, but what I mean is in the sense that I remind them genuinely, if ever they think that anybody giving a talk, like myself, that they think that I'm somehow in any way, shape or form, more important to the running of that place than somebody making the bed and cleaning the, the room. I argue to them, you're way more important because I cannot be there one week and this whole place will still run. You're not there for a week, we are screwed, yeah. right? So that's how important your role is. So can you take pride? And they take utter pride in it. They, they do. They do. It's because amazing. They, they want to work for themselves. They say, look, you don't work for me. You don't work for Kate. If you, the minute you think you work for me, we're in trouble. I said, we're all in trouble. You don't work for me. You work for you and the people walking through the door. And as long as you know you work for those two elements and you work for your family, but ultimately that's you and this, that, and the other, but the pride and everything else and the people that walk through the door. And the best, I think the Without doubt, the best compliment ever received at Juicy Oasis, I'm just thinking about this now, but it was a magic moment, was we had our ex-manager, which was our first ever guy that turns out he wasn't a magic maker. There's a fine line between creating magic and creating tragic. And, <laughs> and he was a tragic maker, not a magic maker. Now, we only try and have magic makers in a because we have a magic making philosophy. So what's our philosophy is magic making. How can we create magic for? That's it. If that's your number one question, then your brain finds an answer. What can we do to create more magic? We never get it right. You never get it 100% right, whatever that is. But you're striving to be the best magic makers you can. And there's always going to be mistakes, obviously. But anyway, the guy, this guy that was managing for, he didn't last long. But anyway, but when we first opened and we didn't know what we were doing, right? We did. We now to run a retreat. We've been doing it for 20, well, 10 years before that. But we hadn't owned a place. And he was the hotel manager, you know, and we thought, oh. Anyway, so we got to the end of the week and he's only worked in Marriott, this, that and the other. And at the end of the week, there was people, they were leaving, they were hugging, they were crying. They were, I'm, I'm missing you already, strangers, 
These are all, they're not nine perfect strangers. In case anybody's listening and thinking we're, we've got one of those retreats, like Nicole Kidman, right? I'm just letting you know that we don't put any magic mushrooms. When I say it's a magic making philosophy, it's not magic mushroom making philosophy, just to be clear. Um, anyway, so, and they're crying and all this and they're hugging and all this, and they're already exchanging numbers and they're there, so I think we're gonna be friends for life. And he said something that just, ah, oh, I thought my mom would love this. And he just said, you don't get this at the Marriott, do you? Ah, oh, and that was it. I just thought, no, you don't. No, you don't. And you no. never will. No. And you never will. One's a business, one is a is a soul, I would say. That's exactly, that's a great way to describe it. And you know what I was offered, genuinely offered, it was the ex-vice president of Walt Disney who happened to come. He owned a place down in the Algarve, 17 million euros. He had something wrong with his health. I didn't know who he was. He came for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, he said, this has changed my entire life. Now it's interesting to observe when multi, multi, multi-millionaires say something changed their life. Because what they really, because without your health, you've got nothing. And people realize that the older they get. So what he means is changed my life. In fact, I've got my mojo back. I've got my thinking back. So at the end of that, he went, I want to, I want to invest in this because he was just so enthralled with it. Yeah. He said in America, I want to, and he genuinely said, I want to open 50 of these. So in every state in the next five years, and he offered a, an eye watering amount of money. Right. And I went back and I was speaking to some people and moreover, I spoke to it's weird, but I, I, my, I don't speak to my mom, but I, I just, what would she think? What would she say? Kind yeah. of stuff. And, and that conversation took about five seconds. And I said, thank you very much, but I'm going to decline. And so he said, why? Why you, don't you want to juice the world, which is your statement? And I said, yes, but I don't want to be the McDonald's of detox. And mm -hmm. I said, and unfortunately, what would happen? I said, it would, it would end up being a soulless place. And there are millions of those. I said, and this, it will end up being a machine. I don't want it to be a machine. I said, if I want to impact more people, I'll make another documentary. Millions can watch it. It's fine. And they can do it. And I said, and I can do that. I said, but A, what do I want anyway? I mean, if you look, you can only drive one car, right? You can only sit in one seat. I don't know what the point of this X amount of money is. I actually don't know what the point is. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I've got a little Fiat 500 of Bath. I've got this. It's not that I don't. Toys are great. If you want toys, I think it's great. I'm not even picking on people for wanting toys. It's just that. I'm just like, well, what, what is, I don't really, I don't really, once you're beyond a certain point, it's like MTV. I remember watching Cribs on MTV and they had these big houses, big this, and virtually every time, especially guys, especially dudes, basketball players in particular, and they go, what's your favorite room in the house? And they'd always take them to some snug, a little snug where they could just draw the curtain and you're like, that's it. They don't want anything, but you think you want that. And there's a cliche, there's an old saying, that most people spend half their life trying to accumulate things, and the second half of their life trying to get rid of the things they accumulated. Exactly. <laughs> they thought that was where it is. But I said to him, no. I said, and everybody said, did you regret that decision? No. I said, I don't want to spend the rest of I've got more past than future now. And I kind of had then, even then, really, in a way, because I was about 45 when he made the offer. But I mean, you know, how many, how many prime time years have you got, you know, when you're yeah. 80 or whatever the case is? So I said to him, I don't want to spend the next. He said, no, honestly, you haven't got to do anything. You know, I, trust me. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I said, he said, you just have to visit. I said, that's visiting 50 states. I said, let's get into every airport. I said, how long are the delays at the airport? And then when I'm on the airplane, then when I'm the, no, my life, no, no, my life, my time is worth way more than whatever amount of money you can give me or whatever. And plus it would, it would bust, it would water down yeah. what we have. And that's why the, the building of the second one is then people say, oh, where are you building after Juicy Escape? It's going to be in the Algarve. 
I said, genuinely nowhere. I, I, I said, I can hand my hat on that. And I said, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> and I said, it's it. I said, because the only thing that frustrated me about Juicy Oasis was because it's, it's, it's not the ultimate playground that I wanted. It's a yeah. beautiful space. But I've always wanted a playground. Like yeah. just a play. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be called Europe's Healthiest Playground. And I just think all anybody wants from a day really is to be around like-minded people so that nobody drinks, right? Nobody drinks, right? So to be to, to, to tell your brain this is okay that I don't need alcohol and to dance and to do whatever and to do sports. I've even built a mini Olympics now. I've built a, a mini running track and a 60 meters and a hurdles and that's incredible. And it's just as I think, wouldn't it be great to have a mini Olympics every week? Just have a bit of fun. And wouldn't it be great to and on top of the gym, the gym's got a boxing ring in it because it'd be just fun. And then the and it's quite big. The spinning studio's got lights and everything else and and the, the roof was big. And I said, can you reinforce that? And they went, yeah, but for what? So we can have a roller rink, roller rink Friday night disco. I mean, how much fun would that be? Then the uh -huh. cinema, oh, don't just have a cinema. Couldn't you have, oh man, couldn't we just do a, like an old 60s cinema where you could put letters and like three showings a day, have the original I can't you know, looking car from Greece, the 1946 Ford Deluxe convertible. So I bought one and that's gonna sit outside saying Greece lightning. Outside. Oh my gosh. <laughs> by the cinema and then but nobody thinks of doing things like this like why don't we have a concert you know every night for those that want it so whether it's robbie williams at the royal albert hall one of the best concerts of all time and everybody goes in and they go in with their phones and lights and stuff and we all have a sing song you don't got to get on a plane to go to a concert you can and no one's doing it i'm like that would be fun why don't we just do that and then everything like slides going into the lake so like you wake up <laughs> just stuff you just think how much fun can we have military assault course dancing dome but just how can we bring people together? And I, people say, why are you frustrated that it's not opening? Is it because of the challenge? Because of this? Yeah. No, because I'm losing years. Yeah. I want to play there. Yeah, yeah. My little son, JJ, is going to be great for him. We had our first race on there. He thinks he's dashed from The Incredibles. He's only four. He's just <laughs> uh, And he goes, I raced that. I raced that. He's like, he's like this. And it's ultimately his, you know, I mean, if he wants it, might not want it. I mean, who knows? But I mean, it's ultimately his if he wants to take the health baton. That's all it is. But if you can show people that you can have a blast while getting healthy, because I think that's the biggest hurdle. And that's the biggest problem that people had for years. Is, I'm going on a detox. They're already miserable saying the freaking word. <laughs> you know, aren't they? They're already, instead of going, hey, guess where I'm going? I'm right. going to... I'm going on this, but I'm going to have tons of exercise. I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to get sharp within three days. Imagine that, you know, you're going to wake up on day four and I'm going to be sharp in that short space of time. Well, you don't feel doom and gloom. You've got to feel like, guess where I'm going? Uh, yeah. Well, people, people have no idea. I mean, until you've experienced it, people project suffering into <laughs> they do, yeah. for a week. And yeah, and <laughs> people, most people are, are happily surprised that it's not like that at all. You and know what? My favorite moment of the day? Go on. No, what is my favorite moment? I know you have to know this. The favorite moment of the day at Juicy. I thought that would have been different for everyone. So I'm going to say. No, mine, mine. Oh, yours? Yeah, mine. I don't, I don't know what yours is. Volleyball. Oh, volleyball. Yeah, well, <laughs> come on. It depends on who's there. We now start to do it in the summer twice a day. I know. I know. That was already happening last time I was there. So the 8 o'clock game. And, and, look, and look, ultra ball game that I invented, um, that, that's going to be big in, um, in, in, in uh, the Algarve um, because we've got this soccer, you know, so, uh, I'm only saying soccer because I know you're American, but uh, football pitch. Uh, why, do you, why do you call football? 
Soccer. That's so funny. No, but when the when the Americans say to me, they go, "Why do you call football football? Have a wild stab in the dark <laughs> because you play it with your feet." Anyway, so, so Jason, I don't know if you know that I am a soccer player. I played from eight till university. Well, we got to have a game, Dennis. I'll be playing. Soccer. I'll be playing in that game. Listen, do you know what I love? I love turning things around. So there's a thing in the UK called Soccer Aid, right? And I've always wanted to play. It's at Manchester United's ground, Old Trafford. I think they're going to move it to Wembley. It's got big. Robbie Williams started it with a friend of his, Jonathan Wilkes. And I always wanted to get on it. But it's only first celebrities and this, that, and the other. And because despite, you know, and, you know. I think, well, Jason, you are a celebrity at this no, point. But, I think we can call you a celebrity. No, but here's the, here's the problem. Despite, I mean, there's, there's nearly 7 million books sold. We sold 2 million apps. And I'm not saying this for any other reason than this point, genuinely. Um, and the documentaries have been seen by 6 million people, this, that, and the other. Despite all of that, it doesn't matter. I'm not Dean because I haven't been on Love Island. So the problem is because I'm not an influencer and I, because I was too late for Instagram. So they only look at Instagram. They go, oh, how many followers you got? Is it math? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm always, there's always another way, right? So I then got in contact with Robbie Williams, right? Because I know him through Gary and just emailed him and said, look, Gaz, uh, Robbie, can you? And he went, oh, send, I said, I'll pay to play. Like for UNICEF, I'll even pay to get on the pitch. I said, that's a win-win. He thought it was a great idea. Put it to UNICEF. They said, no, we only want A-list, blah, blah, Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So then I thought, you know what? <sighs> Juicy escape. Europe's healthiest playground. Put a football pitch on it and start footy aid. Not soccer aid, footy aid. So already I've got ex-footballers, really big stars coming at the opening. I thought, if you won't let me be on yours, I'll start my own. Sod you. And that's how I feel about that's how I feel that we're gonna also like Richard Branson. I'm not quoting myself in remotely, but but I like his necker island, I like his necker cup. So I'm I'm doing the escape cup as well for tennis and stuff. So I just want these people getting involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to get Jokovic. I'm I, I mean I'm trying I mean he messaged me back on Instagram and I'm just trying I couldn't believe he was following me. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and uh, and then I try but always be smart when you're trying to get hold of someone that you don't know. So when he was in quarantine in Australia. I thought, hang on, he's doing nothing else. Now's the time to give him a little message. He'll pay attention. That's it. And now, of course, he's now playing tennis again. He ignores me at all. We're, we're, and he's right. So, but I want to get like David Beckham at the at the opening and stuff. I'm sure David won't come. But I mean, David, if you're listening, buddy, come on. I want to get you there. I also want to get a smoothie with him so I can blend it like Beckham. Thank you. That's so listen, to, to wrap, it, wrap it up, because I told you I'd only take an hour oh, yeah i'm sorry and you're I gonna really have to edit, edit this edit this down massively no no I, I i don't want to edit any of it actually but i have like a thousand questions i didn't ask you so i'm just thinking we'll have to have sometime in the future future part two and i'll ask you some of these other questions about well-being and leadership i loved hearing your story um i thought that was actually much more important okay, in our so, conversation yeah, I, today. I, I tend to go off don't i so i probably I know, I know but i love that because i like i said i learned a bunch of stuff today um so just, I told you I was going to do a rapid fire piece. Let's yeah, do yeah, a little yeah. rapid fire. And then, uh, then we'll do like, I know you didn't want to plug anything, but we'll just do like a final kind of summary because we didn't talk about Juicy Mountain. So just like really quick. And also when Juicy Escape will be opening. So yeah. this is just going to be, I'm just going to throw things at you and the first thing comes to you. So if you. Okay, let's go, let's go. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh God, a billboard with anything on it. And what would it be and why? It's got to be quick fire. Um, I think Carpe Diem, that's it. Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem, love it. Last series you binged and loved. Oh, it's the same series, sadly. On oh, it's Friends. Friends. Oh, I love Friends. I, I, yeah. I just constantly binge Friends. I don't. I'm sure there are other things that you can watch, 
Yeah. Uh, but also, I would say um, uh, Bad Sport as well on Netflix. Brilliant. I have to tell you that I am with you with Friends. I think we talked about it at one point, but Friends used to be therapy at, at home. So oh. somebody lost a game, somebody felt sad, somebody was scared. Friends. Friends therapy. It's friends. There, friends. There were three stories in each episode and each one's layered. They won't do it. Again. It's genius. I just love it. I love it. I'm with you. Okay, so if you could turn back time and talk to that younger self that you are describing today, what would you tell them? I'd say, as you are, as just you trust. Are. It's all good. It's all good. If your life were a book, what would be the title of the chapter you're living right now? Oh, I was, well, okay. Well, I suppose the obvious title for mine is Turn Your Lemons Into Lemonade, because I started juice bars, we literally turn lemons into lemonade, not just the life. So, I mean, as cliche as that, that saying is, I, I think okay. that's, that's I think good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, what is the best tip you have right now for making the world a better place? Oh, just it, it's Caroline Flack, who it's not it's her quote, not mine. And she was a friend of mine. She was on Love Island. She was very well known in the UK. And she sadly committed suicide two years ago. And it was on February the 15th. I remember it well. And her thing was always on social media. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. And it's just that's it. Yeah. In it's a just, world where you can be anything, be kind. Uh, best live concert. Oh, best live concert has got to be, oh, it's got to be Robbie Williams in Vegas. I saw him at the win. There's no question. Nothing comes close. He was brilliant. Okay, best compliment you've ever received? I think it goes back to that. I'm proud of you. I think that's I'm the best compliment. I'm proud of you. Your mom, yeah. yeah. Best meal? Oh, it's got, it's a wrap. It's just, a, I just love wholemeal wrap avocado in there feta cheese sunblush tomato crap black pepper lemon juice bit of baby leaf spinach going on there and drizzle with pesto boom boom, boom, boom yeah, boom, so done. Good. so good you're making me hungry i have not had lunch yet how would jay jj describe you <laughs> you my daddy no, he was... <laughs> <laughs> how would jj describe me i'm hoping i don't know how would at this moment in time i'm hoping just to... i think he described me as somebody who's, who's good to hang out with uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen you play with him. So yeah. Oh, yeah. You saw it on the beach. I did. Yeah, hey, on the beach that day. I was like, oh my God, he is going to wear his dad out. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, who's more of an energizer buddy between these two? Oh, I'm no, not he's sure. Crazy. He doesn't stop. Okay. Favorite movie? Oh, that's really hard. That's because there's different genres. I mean, that's very hard. So, I mean, let's be fair. Animation, of course, Zootropolis, don't be silly, you know, because it's obviously Jason Bateman, who's the fox, has to be. Um, and then the famous, uh, the favourite thriller of all time, I think The Gift. I think The Gift was genius ending. I really like The Gift. Um, but then in terms of classics, you've got to just have Grease and Dirty Dancing, as cliched as they are, but they're fantastic. They are really good. You know what's funny is I actually was in New York and went to a wedding where the, the, the producers of Dirty Dancing were. This was when I was 18, and I remember I was, I was very young. And I remember they thought that it was too sappy and cheesy and like they, they never they never imagined what would happen with that film they had no uh, idea what they well, had I read, I read patrick swayze's book which is incredible while, while he had cancer he was writing it and he said the line that he was going to end the contract with was don't put baby in the corner and he says in his thing that he was going to walk out he said nobody ever would say that nobody in a billion years would say that it's too cheesy i'm not saying it they got him to say it the rest is history yeah yeah i mean it just goes to show you that you never know it's like a window of time and things come together and it was just 
what people needed at that moment. And he a watermelon. Who knew that that would become famous? Yeah. Anyway. Crazy. Okay. What is on your nightstand? On my nightstand? Yeah. Got nothing on my nightstand. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I know. I've got no, nothing. Nothing's on my nightstand. Not even a lamp. No, it's not a lamp. No, okay. actually, not a lamp on my nights because I don't read at night. So, okay, okay. If you could re be remembered only for one thing, what would you want that to be? Oh, it's just, oh, it's cliche. It. He made a bit of a difference. He made a he made a big difference. Come on, Jake said he no, made no, a big. I difference. wanted I wanted to be known. He made a bit of or or to be my my oh, favorite film. Sorry, Christmas film. Of course, it's a Wonderful Life. How have I bypassed that? Yes, um, but yes. of course, the me the message in that is how I want to be. You know, if 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 you hadn't been that that wonderful thing at the end, just remember, if you hadn't been born, you know, like if you hadn't been born, what wouldn't have happened? Mm. Just that kind of things. Like if that that's kind of how I want to be remembered. Yeah, it's just and and f I just want to be remembered that yeah, it was it was it was a laugh. I know it sounds. Crazy. Oh yes, you'd say he he impacted millions of lives, and he was. Funny. Yeah. Very I, want impact, I want to impact lives through laughter. That's I, I always say, like, if you weren't the juice master, you would be a stand up comic. I think yeah, I do. I still for want to sure. Okay, your biggest pet peeve. Oh, awareness. People not having awareness. Oh, I hate it. You're at a cinema and there's tons of empty seats and somebody sits two away from you. You're on a beach, there's nobody there and they come really close to you. It's awareness. Somebody speaking loudly on their phone. Somebody's just like, look around, will you, for feck's sake? Are people eating with their mouth full? Oh, I can't be doing that. Oh, yeah, I gotta be careful next time we, oh, we when eat. They do, when they, they go like that, nah, nah. JJ used to do it, he doesn't do it now. I go, dude, dude, me and you will never get along. <laughs> okay, here's the last one a snapshot of an ordinary moment that brings you joy. Oh, now it's changed, isn't it? It's ordinary moment of joy is just seeing the little fella. When you come in, he's so pleased to see. I mean, that's the point. I mean, I've never had anybody so pleased to see me. <laughs> so he's just really pleased to see me. I mean, like, yeah, that's the snapshot of a good day. Um, and also, I think just I just love jumping in. The sea. I mean, to me, it's just walking on the sand, jumping in the sea. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm looking at the sea now. I'm blessed. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, these are, these are snapshots. But it's hard because there's so many things that have to kind of occur in a day to be a, a, a successful day, I think. Because success is only a day. It's only a feeling. Right. And so it's just like you can't you can't say what you've got in a day. It's a feeling. It's a night where you go, oh, that's that's a good day, and you just feel a bit exhausted. You feel a bit this. You feel like you've made a, a difference in some way. You might have had some fun. You might have played, and you know it doesn't matter how much money you got. You know when you haven't had a successful day because you've sat. You maybe sat down. You may have watched a bit too much TV than you thought you were going to watch. You may have been slightly more unproductive than you told people you've been that day. You, <laughs> you might have, you might have eaten a bit more than than, than you wanted. And you know, and it's that, and you feel a bit crappy, and you think uh, that's that means you're not successful that day. That's all it is. It's a day thing. It's a day thing. So I would say whatever makes you feel successful in the day is the things I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This day with you having this podcast has made this day feel successful for me. You know, I've enjoyed this. I've here. enjoyed. I didn't know what this. I, as you know, I didn't always want to look at previous questions. Didn't look at the questions you sent, and I'm terrible. <laughs> and I didn't. Uh, and I didn't look at the quick fire round, which was obvious by my answers. We uh, didn't. We didn't answer most of the questions, but I love where the conversation. Should we do part went. two? Should we do part two? We'll do part, part two. We'll do part two. And I just want to speak to something that that you know, hearing you talk about JJ and how he lights up when you walk into the room, I couldn't help but think of the legacy of your mom. You know, she loved you unconditionally, and now you have a little treasure at home to pass yes. on. The I, love. Didn't have, I didn't have a dad, and I did, and do you know what? I just think 
I mean, I did have, I met him when I was 17. I put an advert in a local paper looking for him. Don't ask but anyway i ended up finding him no anyway, we'll, save, we'll save that for chapter two <laughs> chapter two um but i can't i don't get how i having having got jj i genuinely don't understand how any human could leave their offspring ever i don't i don't i i don't understand I'm, I'm sure there's an understanding somewhere i don't have the capacity to understand it. anyway that's for that's for podcast two yeah, thank you so much. Thank Jay, you. Very lucky to have you, and the world is very lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have you. I can't wait for Juicy Escape. Maybe oh. what we can do is have chapter two when Juicy Escape's about Let's to open. Why don't, we, why don't we record it at Juicy Escape? Oh, yes. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. And that means that I will be there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Well, cheers, lovely. Thank you for that. Ah, that was wonderful. I hope I do get the opportunity to record part two of the Jason Vale story straight and live from Juicy Escape when it opens. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I love that part that he said at the end that we should measure our success one day at a time. And that makes it so that each day when we wake up, we can start all over again. Juicy Oasis is one of the most inspiring places I have ever visited, so I highly recommend it. And of course, Juicy Escape, when it opens, I've never been to the Juicy Mountain, which is in Turkey, but I've heard great things about it. And I want to thank you again for joining me on Leadership Game Changers. Feel free to send me feedback or suggestions of a game changer out there that you know that you think deserves to be interviewed. Get their voice out there to inspire listeners. And remember, Never underestimate the power of a mentor.